was really fun to be doing something collaborative at a time when people were so isolated. Hey, come on in. Welcome, welcome. Um, we are glad you're here because we love talking one-on-one with artists so that you get to know more about the heart behind the music. Welcome to the Green Room Door podcast. I'm Dave Trout, and this is the first of our Green Room Doors for uh, the year 2023. This is episode uh, episode four of our sixth season, and it's a little bit of a milestone episode, too, if you count up all the episodes um, from all the six seasons. This is episode 50 on the list. And we have a fun one to bring you to um, where we are going to dive deep into some music and conversation. Um, in the second half of the show, we're going to be talking to Beth Snell Lutz, one of Rich Mullen's dear friends who um, they went to college together, they formed a band together, and, um, and Beth was an integral part of the release of the album Deep Valley, uh, the new live album that just came out um, by Rich Mullins um, earlier this month in uh, early February. But in the first half, we're going to be talking with an on-the-rise artist who is a uh, poet, a writer, and in this particular case, a lyricist. And she created, thanks to a class assignment in college, um, a, a spectacular project that... Um, kind of walks through the season of Lent and into Holy Week um, based on one of the Psalms. Uh, we're going to be talking about her project, All the Wrecked Lights, which uh, was a live performance showcase. It also uh, then developed into an album that released in 2022. Um, so before we dive into the interview, here's a little taste of one of the tracks from All the Wrecked Lights. It comes crying compassion with a vengeance Here's what's left of Pompeii And here is the dustpan Oceans bleeding Here are your two hands And all your writing is in much demanded Let's start way back. Okay. Um, how did music play a role in your upbringing and just in a role in your personal development and growth? Yeah. Um, well, my parents loved music, um, and we often had music playing around the house. Growing up, I was very invested in dance. I studied ballet for a while, interacting with music through dance was probably the first time I really invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and timing was very significant to me. Uh, choreography was really significant to me. Um, so that was that was kind of what started probably an active investment in music, um, was thinking through it from a dance lens. Um, I quit dance late in high school, uh, to pursue more writing and spend that time pursuing writing. But uh, that music element 
kind of stayed with me. And so I guess it kind of came full circle as a lyricist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you released this very cool collaborative debut album and before we, I, we we'll, we'll spend most of our time on that, but before we get to that, yeah. just tell me, I, I know that you were the lyricist for yep. the album. Um, can you share like more about just you as an artist and just kind of what you love to create in general? Absolutely. Um, in a large way, I'm still figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love writing. I always tell people that long-term my goal is to write children's literature. Mm. Um, I I love stories. I'm is a career. I'm a private teacher and tutor. Um, so I love getting to know students, um, understanding what interests them, um, and engaging with that through art and story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been kind of long-term my trajectory. Uh, but my writing tutor growing up told me that if you learn to write poetry well, you can write anything well. Hmm. Um, if you can learn to really write only the essential words, distill down your ideas, use metaphor and simile in a way that connects larger concepts with the things that we have around us, um, then you can write anything well. And so that's what I did. I started studying poetry really in depth. Um, and then I started writing poetry and imitating poets that I love. Um, and I found what she said to be true. It made my academic writing stronger. It made my creative nonfiction stronger. It made my fiction stronger. Hmm. Um, and I also just fell in love with poetry. Um, so so in that sense, I, I love writing anything. I'm a grad student. I love writing papers. I'm very interested in biblical languages. Um, I love uh, researching and writing uh, for school. Um, but I also, I do a lot of short fiction. I do a lot of children's writing, nothing, um, published, but, uh, that's certainly something I'm, I'm continually working on. Um, and then, uh, and then fiction, I write for the rabbit room. Um, I love collaboration. Um, so all direct light is one area of that. I have a photography poetry collaboration with my friend, Emma Benson called Brown Bank Eastward that's uh, online and hopefully in a print form soon. Um, so kind of kind of all over the place, yeah. but um, all stemming from a love of poetry um, and, yeah. and a love of collaboration. Mm, that's cool. Okay, so let's talk about your album, All the Wrecked Lights, yeah. um, which I believe kind of started as like almost like a classroom project. Can you share about the origin story? Yeah. Uh, so for my undergrad program, uh, my undergraduate degree is in moral philosophy, um, which is super weird, but also really cool. Um, and it gave me uh, a lot of breath to study a lot of different things. Um, but the end of the program was a capstone project where uh, every student basically designed their own course. Um, so we would bring on a professor from the school. Um, we would create a book list um, of text that we would work through. We would create kind of our own syllabus. Um, and then there would be a project at the end of that course that we had designed just for ourselves. Um, and it could be a thesis, it could be an internship, or it could be something more creative. Um, and so All the Rec Light began as that project for me. Um, and it was only supposed to be a one-night event, so we performed it in March of 2021. 
as a one night event over Holy Week. Um, and it was picked up from a, by a producer after that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just a, a one-time thing that I did at the end of a semester class that I designed. Wow. That's so cool. Um, and we had talked about this before the interview. So yeah. can you share just how all the rect light is related to Lent and Holy Week? Absolutely. So all the rect light progresses through Psalm 90, meaning that, um, every song on the album covers one or two verses and it goes through the album that way in order. Hmm. Um, so as you're listening through the tracks, you're going through one or two verses of Psalm 90 and kind of the commentary and exposition that I've written through the lyrics, um, that then the, the artists have set to music and performed. Um, and Psalm 90 has a, has a very strong, um, Lent to Easter progression in it. Um, where you're you're moving from it, Psalm 90 was written by Moses, um, which is it's it's very significant. Um, so it's not a Davidic psalm, um, but you're moving through uh, Moses's grief um, over the sins of the people of Israel, over his own sin, um, over the brevity of their life. Um, they are in the wilderness, um, and then and and then through uh, his hope of resurrection. Um, and so, although Moses obviously lived long before Christ and long before the church's liturgical calendar, um, that shape is still there. And so I, I brought that shape through in the project in a way that the, the songs, as they're progressing through Psalm 90, progress through imagery and themes of Ash Wednesday, Lent, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then on to Easter morning. Hmm. So when we perform the project, um, originally for that live performance and and hopefully again uh this spring uh we perform it over holy week um with the vision of kind of using the album as an aid for the church as we walk through those seasons together oh that's beautiful um well one of the very very cool things about the project uh, i mean you talked about how collaboration is very important to you yeah. and and you collaborated with several artists that UTR listeners would be familiar with like Wild Harbors, Cardiff State, Elamine, Carousel Rogues um, and, and there are other indie artists on the project as well and and so I here's my fascination how do you as a college student um, sort of even begin to link arms with like the Nashville artist community and, you know, how do you, how do you even have the vision to, uh, to kind of bring in the artists and to be a part of it? How, how, how did that work out? Yeah. Um, I think it worked out because the church is really kind. Mm. Um, so there were a few of these folks that I, uh, I knew, um, Ella mine, I, uh, went to junior high and high school with her. Um, so I've known her for a while. Um, Justin Schumacher um, was a college friend of mine, um, so he he hopped on the project too. Um, and for the other folks, I sent Facebook messages, and mm. just they were people. I I went into the project knowing that it was something that I could not finish. I'm not a musician at mm. all, um, but I I just I wanted to do this experiment. I wanted other people to help me. Um, I love the idea of, of starting something that I couldn't finish and just um, seeing what 
God and the church did with my inadequacy. Mm. Um, and if it failed hard, um, I was okay with that. Yeah. I kind of, I thought my professors would understand and they'd let me pass. Right. Um, <laughs> as long as, as long as I did my yeah. piece. Um, and then I just, I just wanted to see what would happen. And so I, as I was writing it, as I was writing the different songs, I, I would think about, um, the artists I knew and loved who I thought could communicate with me what I was trying to communicate. And I would keep that in mind. Um, as I was, as I was writing the lyrics, I might listen to some of their music while I was writing the lyrics. Um, and then I would just like message them mm. <laughs> and send them the lyrics and be like, Hey, crazy idea, but I wrote this song. What do you think about singing? it?" Mm. Um, and people would just, they're so kind and, uh, they were willing to jump into it with me. And, um, a lot of the writing was taking place during kind of the heart of COVID. Um, and, and so we were, we were communicating via Zoom. A lot of people I didn't meet like in person until the rehearsal for the show. Um, and so it was, it was really fun to be doing something collaborative at a time when people were so isolated. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really thankful to the people who are willing to jump in. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. You have a lot of confidence to, <laughs> to you know, make the ask. Well, a lot of folly. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you should bring them on, see what they think of me. Um, can you tell me the story about the song Formed? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Formed is the second or third track on the album. The, the album begins with a reading of Psalm 90 in English and Hebrew. So uh, depending on where we count that, it's the, it's the second song on the album, mm-hmm. third track. Um, and that is, um, it's, it's, it's based on early verses in Psalm 90 that are describing the formation of the world, um, which is such a cool thought because Psalm 90, like we said, was written by Moses, who we think, uh, wrote and compiled the entire Pentateuch, including Genesis. Um, so however those manuscripts and ideas were passed down to him, um, he was, familiar with the stories of um the hebraic account of the creation and uh and he's reflecting on that as he's out in the wilderness with god's people um and i i wanted to write a song that not only communicated that but almost sounded like the formation of the world which you know Mm. imagine being a musician uh like Cardiff State receiving this note from this random girl who's like, hey, here's some lyrics. Can you write a song that sounds like the formation of the world? Um, <laughs> and they did an amazing job. Yeah. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Their harmonies are amazing. Um, so that that's the idea behind that song. Oh, that's very cool. Before the morning cascaded on Oh, 
Okay, what uh, what does the year ahead look like for you? Oh, man. Um, it's kind of a crazy year. I'm getting married um, in May. Wow, congratulations. So, yeah, thank you. Um, so I have that, um, and that uh, obviously changes everything. Yeah. Um, I'm in grad school right now studying Hebrew, um, which was something I've been interested in for a while, um, and this project just kind of threw me headfirst into it, and I, I realized that I really want to be doing more stuff like this. And I, I spent a lot of time meeting with individuals who know Hebrew for this project um, so that I could really get into the psalm and understand more than just the English translation gives us. Hebrew is a very poetic language. Mm. And as a lyricist, I wanted to understand some of those poetic connections that we can't see in translation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if I, I could kind of wrangle some folks into helping me as a poor college student, but uh, I kind of like to be able to do it on my own two feet. Mm. So um, I'm in my second semester of studying Hebrew this uh, this spring, um, and then I'll have uh, I'll have two more semesters left. So I'll be in school um, all of this year. Um, and then in terms of creative projects, um, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still kind of wrapping up a few loose ends from all the rec light. We kickstarted the project. Um, we're hoping to perform it again over Holy Week. Um, so wrapping up a few of those, getting married, yeah, um, and <laughs> just then, a few small things, yeah, and, yeah. Then, <laughs> and then seeing what what there is, yeah. Um, so I do a lot of uh, teaching and tutoring and writing, so that's that's always really fun, um, seeing other people's creative voices and poetic voices come out in their writing. So I spend a lot of time on that. Ah, uh, yes, it was so fun to get to talk to Hannah Huben get to know her a bit more and she just mentioned a couple minutes ago that one of her dreams for this year was to perform the all the wrecked lights project as a live concert once again and i can confirm for you right now that that is indeed going to take place i just found out it's confirmed this week and the all the wrecked lights live concert will be happening in Nashville during Holy Week. So if you're in or around the Nashville area or if you can make it uh, make it to the area, it's going to be on April 4th. Um, I love that date because it's 4-4. Easy way to remember it. Um, also, you can remember it because it's the Tuesday of Holy Week. Um, so if you can make it, that'd be great. There's tickets available at Eventbrite right now, and we will link in the show notes of today's episode directly to the ticket link. Um, I, before we go though, I had one more burning question that I had to ask Hannah. I can, I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering this. Was your project graded and, uh, did you get a good grade? (laughs) It was a pass-fail class, and okay. I passed. Oh, good. All right, all right. At least we have that. That's right, that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, the big project for UTR in 2022 was Bellsburg. That is the thing that really dominated our time and attention and work. Uh, it was such an honor to team up with Old Bear Records, Andrew Greer, the rest of the creative team to make this Rich Mullins tribute album come to life. Um, and we, UTR, has a new thing that is our big project of 2023. We're going to be revealing what that is next week, the last week of February. 
So be on the lookout for our social media channels and uh, or sign up to be on our email list so you are one of the first to know what our big thing is for this year. We are stoked about it too. Uh, and one of the very honored and cool things that came out of the Bellsburg Project is the new Rich Mullins live album called Deep Valley that was unearthed a recording from 1984. Um, it just came out in this month and uh, went to number one of the iTunes charts. Just amazing. So we are thrilled about that album. Um, and it could not be possible without the incredible Beth Snell Lutz one of Rich's dear friends and uh, someone who has been caretaking his early music catalog that she recorded by hand in some songs that never even got published. It's remarkable. So uh, we, we are excited to bring you an interview with Beth Snell Lutz um, next on the second half of this episode of Green Room Door. Stick around. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the 25th anniversary edition of the Rich Mullins biography, An Arrow Pointing to Heaven by James Bryan Smith. You are invited to see the layers of Rich's story through reflections by his friends and family. Songwriter Carolyn Ahrens shared, this book gives us a passionate, powerful picture of the God Rich loved. The 25th anniversary edition of An Arrow Pointing to Heaven is published by InterVarsity Press and is available now on ivpress.com. Have you tuned into UTR's latest Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist? Here's what you'll hear. Check out a whole bunch of hand-curated songs on UTR's Heart, Soul, and Mind playlist. Available now at Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Prime Music. This UTR podcast is sponsored by the newly released Deep Valley, an unearthed live album by the late, great Rich Mullins. Deep Valley is posthumously released as the first ever live album of Rich Mullins, recorded in his early solo career in 1984. Deep Valley by Rich Mullins is available now on Spotify, Apple Music, and all music platforms with advanced CDs, digital downloads, and vinyl pre-orders available at the Bellsburg store. Find the link in today's show notes. Hey, welcome back. This is Season 6, Episode 4 of Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout. 
Our next interview guest is Beth Snell Lutz. And um, I first met Beth through email exchanges in 2016 and 2017. But the first time I met her in person was in September of 2017. If you remember, that's the month and the occasion where Andrew Peterson had his infamous ragamuffin concert at the Ryman Auditorium. Uh, And the after party of that concert was at a restaurant called Poncho and Lefty's. And that's where I met Beth in person. So here I was sitting at a table with Andrew Greer. Uh, Also, um, David McCracken um, was the host of the party. Beth Lutz was just a couple tables over and I got to meet her in person. And little did I know that these whole, all these worlds would be colliding very soon um, as we, as we were all sort of diving into the Bellsberg project together. Um, It, I have just, it's been an honor and a, and a pleasure to get to know Beth more through the years, uh, more recently. And, um, we would not have, we would not have the deep Valley album today, which is the first live rich Mullins album, of his career that just released on February 10th of this year. We wouldn't have been able to release that, um, without Beth and her amazing caretaking of the early music of Rich's career. She'll she'll tell that story a little bit more. But um, she was a dear friend of Rich and actually um, was in the band Zion with Rich, in, which was his uh, first band before he became a solo artist. Um, so we're just so thrilled to be able to have this conversation with Beth, let you get to know her. And if you, if you have the Deep Valley CD... Now you'll know who Beth Snell Lutz is because she's listed as the executive producer of Deep Valley. So hope you enjoyed the conversation. And at the end of the conversation, we're going to play a full track from the Deep Valley Project. And before we begin, here's a little taste of one of the songs. And if you look in the mirror at the end of a long day, you know in your heart you have not lied If you gave love freely And if you earned an honest wage And if you got Jesus by your side You can thank the Father For the things that he has done And you can thank him for the things he's yet to do if you find someone who's tender And if you find the love that's true Then thank the Lord He's been doubly good to you And you can thank the Father For the things that He has done And you can thank Him for the things He's had to do And if you find someone who's tender And if you find the love that's true Thank the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord. He's been doubly good to you. Now, Deep Valley, uh, there's a there's a, a long arc leading up to it, obviously, its existence. Um, but I want to start with the here and now, and then we'll kind of work our way backwards. So, Beth, how just you know, here Deep Valley is in the world. It came out, you know, early February. Yeah. It's available yeah. everywhere. 
I got to know just kind of what you're thinking about. How does it feel? What What's going on in your head now that we're past the release date? I'm kind of still in shock and awe, I think. I never, um, I mean, it's been a lot of years that I've hoped that this music would have an opportunity to be heard, but I never really expected it to happen. Yeah. So that it actually has, you know, I, I'm beyond uh, it's beyond me it's not my world and so it's not something that I had any expectations for I think I've said to you guys a million times I just I wonder how it will be received because mm -hmm. I really had no idea um yeah. I think Richard has his own audience and so it wasn't like I was releasing music of my own and um and that was wonderful because I didn't feel the stress from that particularly and because it was a concert he had created the set. So it wasn't something that I felt responsible to, oh, did I do that well or right? Mm -hmm. Or how it best would be heard. But instead he chose the songs, whether I liked them or not. So yeah, um, it's, it's been awesome. It's been mm -hmm. kind of out of an out of body experience. That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, okay. So uh, just to kind of catch us up, with, you know, just tell us a little bit about uh, your history with Rich Mullins, the, you know, kind of where you met and, and your kind of the, the musical journey you went on with him. Um, I showed up on campus at um, Cincinnati Bible College in August of 75, but I was a couple weeks early and so the, the campus was empty. Um, freshmen didn't arrive for two weeks. And so I needed to get a job and I went down early and, um, was pretty alone on, on campus. And then I was walking across and heard piano and followed it and ended up meeting him. He was practicing or in a practice room, just playing. And, um, I sat down outside the window and just started scribbling down all the lyrics that I was hearing in shorthand. And, um, then, you know, he saw me and he had me come in and, and just be there. And so after that, that's pretty much became normal. We just met there and um, the music itself was shocking to me because I was a huge rock and roll person. And I didn't know that there was anything except for part harmony, you know, boring um, music out there. We didn't get much of the California, you know jesus music yet and so this was the first i'd heard where you could do really awesome music without it being um secular mm -hmm. and i needed i needed to hear some the lyrics were just so powerful for me because he was in a really dark place anyway and so i was as well and um so they really met me where i needed to be touched and and experienced and from that point on i just went out with my first paycheck and bought a recorder, a mm. tape recorder, just, you know, I had it with me in my purse all the time, which later my friends all, you know, ridiculed me about because I always had my camera and my tape recorder right there. And um, yeah. I just started recording then. And I recorded throughout the years we were together. We lived on and on, on and off um, in community throughout those years. And then um, we started Zion and we all lived 
together. And so there was a lot of music all the time. And um, that really fed my soul. And then after mm -hmm. that, of course, once he went to Nashville, my tapes were more limited because it was just when I would go to see him and so forth. But um, I kept all I kept them all for some reason with every move I made. Somehow these this box of tapes came with me. And then um, when he died, I found it uh, kind of by accident a couple weeks before he died in my barn and um, was heading to Wichita to see him. We were he and Sprinkle and I were going to hang out that weekend. And um, I was taking one of the tapes with me because with each album, he would pull out a song from the 70s and put it on. And I had a couple I wanted him to hear to be remembering and possibly put on the next album. And um, that's when I got the phone call. So mm. um, from that point wow. on, I just felt a real burden to make sure that that music was protected and, and um, digital wasn't available yet, you know, so it was just something I felt a need to, to bring it all together and, and make sure that somehow it wasn't forgotten and it had an opportunity to be heard was my main hope. So you've carried around these hand-recorded recordings of Rich Mullins uh, for decades, right? Decades. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And who keeps That's... anything when they're 18? I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know because so many of them, um, we lost a friend this week, Kathy Snyder, and she was part of that original gang and we all lived together in the Ash Hole and other places. And um, I always sang with her. It was mm. her and me and Richard. And um, she just had this buttery, buttery voice. And she died last week. And and so I've been re-listening to those tapes and have been even to myself going, how, how do you still have these? Because they were mm. some of them 75 and 76 and 77. So that's older than you have been on the earth. <laughs> Well, I, so, um, okay, I'll, I'll ask my silly question first, because I, because I've never asked you this, Beth, and I, I'm, I'm just curious. So when you said music was all around, and obviously, you know, you can almost, you can almost kind of envision Rich sitting at the piano, banging out songs, and, and you singing along, or grabbing a recorder and recording it, um, I'm I, I'm curious. Did did he ever sing other people's music, or was it almost always like his own original songs? If he was just kind of sitting in a practice room or whatever, um, you know, because I think the typical college kid, if they're just going to sit at a piano, they're going to start singing a either a popular song or a other Christian artist song or something like that. And I'm just, I've, right. ne I've never known, did Rich ever do that? Um, to my knowledge, I mean, he probably did. To my knowledge, the only time that he sang or that he played other people's songs was when he was backing somebody up for, I mean, we did so many weddings and, you know, so he would back me up doing that and, and a lot of different opportunities like that. And if he had a guitar in his hand, which wasn't very often originally, cause he didn't learn to play till 77. But, you know, we would, if we were all together, we would do either hymns, you know, or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, you know, anything that was four part harmony. Mm. Um, but I remember one time he, he was 
playing and it might have been Snyder who died last week and they said to him you know do you do you know any Elton John and he said well does he know any of mine yeah <laughs> so <laughs> at the time I think he was just he had such an attitude you know yeah. he had a chip on his shoulder and who does it when you're 18 19 you know 20 yeah. so not to my knowledge you know we yeah. mainly it was it was him his stuff if, if we were at home in the house he would just be playing you know not always songs that were completed but just his um his fingers just played yeah so yeah. I, i've got a good bit of that that what's wonderful about that is that when i listen to it now i recognize songs that were coming that were mm. in the making before they you know really he'd ever completed them and so it's fun to go back and listen to those tapes because yeah you just never know what you're recognize in the music yeah totally yeah um you know and that kind of brings us to deep valley um i mean uh love of another kind is a great example the song that he yeah. co-wrote with amy grant and a few others and and uh and it became a big hit for amy grant in 1985 yeah. but the deep valley rich mullins version predated by at least a year and uh yeah. which is which is interesting so um so so deep valley he wrote uh, that i think it was just he and wayne that wrote that originally oh really oh, okay uh -huh. wayne kirkpatrick who you know writes broadway plays now i mean he back yeah. then he was just starting writing he just moved to nashville he and fran and he rich got put in a room with them and they became fast friends and began to write together. And that was one of the first ones they wrote together. And then when Amy heard it, um, she and Gary, I think, played with it and made the changes. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Richard was in. I think they gave her them the song and then the changes okay, came after. Yeah, that, yeah, that's how it works, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so tell us a little bit about how Deep Valley came to be like it, it kind of had a, a unique story of just because you weren't there with your tape recorder recording it so right. how did it even come to be um uh, Richard traveled you know all the time by himself before you know I met him he had started traveling and doing camps and fell in love with camps you know like when he was 18 and so no go away um not me Right. Not me <laughs> you, my cat. Your cat. Um, <laughs> yeah, she wants to be on she wants to be on screen. Um, and so we had friends that were spread everywhere. And one of them was one of our original group as well. His name was Ron Swartwood. And he lived in western Pennsylvania in a wee little town up there. Mm -hmm. And um there were a lot of, of kids at, at our college from that area. And so later, um, it was in the middle, well, probably in 79, 78, he started, uh, Ron had him come up there and do camp. And another friend mm -hmm. of ours, Dean Heidkamp, who was a really good friend of Richard's in college, um, took a internship up there, I think. And so he's one of the first ones that invited him to that area. And he just fell in love with the people more probably they fell in love with him because you know he 
had was traveling quite a bit, but they began to have him regularly. And then um, our friend Ron Swartwood ended up going home to that area after college. And um, he was a, a music purist. He just loved to have music that was really well um, recorded. And, and so he, every time Richard would come to that part of the country, would rent... Um, the equipment so that he could get a good recording of him because we never you know even through zion we seldom ever had an opportunity to be recorded through a board and so mostly it was just handhelds and that music got very complicated because of that uh, or i mean the recordings didn't come out as well to my in my opinion um because before then it was just rich in a piano so that even that was easier but um ron just started recording him every time he came for came up and one of them was this week of camp i actually have several weeks of camp of um his recordings but um he recorded that night through a board and so it became one of my best recordings of mm. richard um and especially of a full concert of him and so when we were looking at what we might do if we had an opportunity to do a, a first or a project um, of the early music that came to mind. It was either that or the Zion album because they, it seemed like those would be the two simplest um, for people who had never done it before, if we were going to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the Deep Valley one had a lot broader uh, range of music because it was the early, early years from the mid seventies. There were a couple songs on there, the courting song and ain't no book sold and, Oh, come all you faithful and and then in the middle there were some songs from the zion years that he put in there and then also he had just started just started writing in nashville and um had met wayne and and so we we thought that that would be a really awesome spectrum to draw give people a chance to hear yeah familiar songs as well as songs that they'd never heard before yeah absolutely and it was, it has been very well received. I mean, first of all, it, a, yeah, a big th a it. big thank you to the the Kickstarter uh, supporters who who were part of the Bellsberg project because um, the Deep Valley release was really funded, you know, because I mean, you you had the the audio in hand, but there's some costs that are involved to to a clean it up mix and master it um you know um obviously there's printing costs when it comes to um cds and cd jackets and vinyl and all of that stuff uh and so um so th thank you to everybody who was a backer because it was a stretch goal part of that campaign and the stretch goal was met so it, it allowed us the freedom to kind of give this the full enchilada release um but then even the folks that weren't a part of that campaign have responded in recent weeks with fervor and excitement and um and the the album surprisingly went to number one on the itunes charts um when it when it released so um so does that does that give you a sense of satisfaction knowing a that that Rich's music is still important to people, is still valuable. People are still seeking it out. And B that them finding Deep Valley 
may even help awaken them to to kind of re-explore or or explore deeper for the first time rich's whole amazing catalog of incredible songs just how how are you reflecting on just the the amazing interest that's been shown i i know that anthony called me and said did you realize it's at number one of old bear records he called and and i didn't and um it I, it was very weird because i expected to be overwhelmed with excitement and instead it was as though everything in my heart just went calm mm. and i it was almost a, a visceral sense of calm that isn't normal in life you know that we experience those things and and all i could attribute it to was just a sense of acknowledging that it had done it had happened that i had stuck with it as i believed god was calling me to for all these years and that it was just a sense of peace that okay you know it's it's out there that's what that's what you've been aiming at so just inhale it and um and the rest of it, I think I felt like I could just trust that if his, if people loved him, that they would really enjoy it because the recording was reasonably good. What I loved about it mainly, and one of the reasons that we chose it is because it was just him. And as he, in throughout his life, he would, he knew that he didn't travel well by himself, that it wasn't a safe place for him. And so he would gather people to travel with him. And when he did, he would almost always do have them be a part of the music that he did. And so there aren't a lot of um, later uh, recordings where it's just him. There are some, but more often than not, he has whoever was traveling with him or warming up for him. And he enjoyed so much sharing all of his music and sharing theirs that um, I was really wanted that it, I really wanted if we were able to do a project to make sure the first one was just him. And that, to me, especially because then we had the option to leave the rants in. And I think for a, quite a lot of people that certainly went to his concerts, but even others that would hunt down interviews with him, I think the way that he had of communicating um, through, of course, through music, but also through when he was talking uh, was really unique. And on the edge and he tended to jump over lines and ignore them and get himself in trouble. You never knew when he started talking, if it was gonna, if you were gonna be embarrassed for him or if you were, if it was gonna be awesome. So I was thrilled that this project let, gave us the option to leave those in for folks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's, I, I just wanna take a moment to uh, allow you to thank a few people. Um, I, I think I think just starting with Ron, um, and uh, he he uh, I'm not sure what year, but I know that he passed away. Um, mm -hmm. And so part part of this, well, the album itself, if you if you have the CD or vinyl and you open it up, uh, you'll see it is dedicated to Ron um, because, in essence, it, this album is a we all have felt like it's a gift um i mean not only just rich leaving us his music but also 
um, Ron's talents to record it. And, and I, and so, so he saw your vision before he passed, he saw you carrying, carrying this, this early music and knew that you had a passion for it. So, um, so am I understanding right that he before he passed he decided that he wanted he wanted you to kind of be the caretaker of that recording I think he well I don't think I know because we talked about it quite a lot um he had his own set of tapes that he was going to keep because he knew that he would keep them in a pristine way you know that he wasn't mm-hmm. going to be playing them and they, he wanted them to last um and he had um, cancer and it was pretty, it was, it, he went pretty quickly in a lot of ways. And so um, he came, he and his wife came to Cincinnati, um, gosh, was it February, March of 20. He died in the winter because we went through a win- a really bad storm in Northern Ohio to get to the um, services, but um we all met at Skyline down here a couple months before he died and um, had his five way. And then um, as we were parting and saying goodbye, he gave me all of his tapes because he knew Mm. that I was moving forward with this and I had the rest of them. And so um, he just wanted them all to stay together. And he knew that if, if anything was going to happen to it, it was probably going to be because I was going to push my way into it, if at all possible. So yeah, I yeah. have a number of his tapes that are really nicely recorded as well. Okay, so what other besides Ron, who are some other people you want to give a shout out to um as a thanks that this album has made it into the world? Well, um Joe Cook for sure. Uh, I think he he's teamed with me for a long time on this early music just trying to I met, I met him online because he has Ragamuffin Archive and um, I started posting music on YouTube years ago and he hadn't heard it because I had, I had mostly the only copies of a lot of it. And so he began to contact me and ask me questions about it. And as time went by, then we connected extensively um, about what would it happen if we could ever do a project? So he was involved in this and he brought um, Chris Marchand into it, which was awesome. Um, I even then had no idea if we were going to be able to do anything until a friend of mine, Dave McCracken, um, was was helping out with the Bellsburg uh, project at Richard's old house um, in Nash, outside of Nashville. And he texted me one day and said, you know, these, these guys at this record company, I was just talking to one of them and they asked me if I knew of any obscure Rich Mullins music. And so I told him about you and they really want to talk to you. So I, he said, you need to come down here. So I got in my car and drove down and ended up the next day having conversations that I had given up on having um, with Evan Sealing, who ended up, um, cleaning up all this music because that's he's gifted at that and and the old bear brothers um chris and anthony and um it just ended up changing the direction of what i had anticipated ever happening because they had an interest in it and they had the experience in the bill the ability to make it happen and so between those guys 
being willing to step in and, and be committed to it and the help that you and Anth and um, Andrew Greer uh, provided through that time. I just, I'm just really grateful that it happened. Yeah. One final question for you. And that is, um, this is a pretty historic release because it's uh, the first, the first national release of um, of the Rich Mullins early music catalog that that you have okay. been stewarding. Um, so, is do you have I, thoughts or about the future about releasing more of this music into the world? I would love for as many people to have an opportunity to hear it as possible. Um, I've, that's always been my prayer since the first time I heard Richard. It was, I was in a really bad place and just wanted maybe my first real conversation with God was help. If I can be a part of getting this music out, I'm in. And I uh, had no idea how he was going to orchestrate that throughout my life. But um, that prayer continues. And I've tried any number of times to put it aside and I just haven't been given permission, you know, to do that. And, um, so of course my, I listen to it and it's so much a part of, of my memory and my preference for music that, um, I have a lot of ideas. I know a lot of people have contacted me about possibly re-releasing the Zion album because that's the only one that people can't really get their hands on. And, um, so that, you know, that's an option. I have instrumental music of his that I think would be awesome heard. There's a lot of music that he wrote that when he, when he went to Nashville in 83 and started in that world, he left behind him all the music that he'd written up to that point for the most part, because he was so prolific, he was always writing three and four songs at a time. And so when he began to co-write then that increased exponentially, but um, as each album would happen, he would bring out one from the seventies and put it on there, you know, here in America, Elijah, sing your praise. Um, I think there were probably 10 or 11 of them anyway, that were all written um, as is hope to carry Jesus, um, and he just lifted them from the past and would put them on an album and not tell anybody they were old songs because Nashville didn't want them and from the music that he had written pre Nashville because he, he didn't know how to write yet was what we heard, <laughs> but he told us, they told him anyway. Right. So, um, there are more songs, you know, that he wrote in that period of time that might be as well received as any of those. Um, and there are even more that he wrote during the Zion years, because at that point was really the first time that he started writing for other voices. And he always preferred to sing harmony, whether it was his songs or Crosby, Stills and Nash. He wanted to find harmonies and to get to play in that field and didn't get a chance to do it until he sang with other people. And so uh, those, those years, he wrote a different kind of music almost because in his mind, he was thinking of other voices that he wanted to have singing them. And so um, I have probably 130 songs that most folks have never heard unless they followed my YouTube channel or whatever, which is a very small little piece <laughs> of the world. So any opportunity I have to get, give this, give any of this music an opportunity to be heard 
I'm all in. Well, what is the name of your YouTube channel? Just in case people want to want to dig a little bit deeper. Rich Mullins Early Music. Okay. Is and kind of what I what I came down to as I worked on all this and it wasn't old music and it wasn't new music it was and there was it was such a mix and so I ended up landing on um Rich Mullins early music both as a Facebook group and also um the uh, YouTube channel nice when I when I worked with um my first goal of course was to make sure it was all protected whatever Nashville had not protected I needed I really felt like it needed to be protected for his family because I could imagine other people randomly having tapes in their junk drawers and pulling them out and and possibly claiming either the lyrics or the music whatever and I just felt a real burden that I needed to do what I could to make sure that the family had the rights to all the music and so I created uh, Lori Loving a friend of his from his Nashville years and a music administrator um she does all of Amy's, you know, she's, she does a good job at what she does. And, and she just was willing to help me out and, and go ahead and get it all copyrighted. And so that happened under Rich Mullen songs. So that's the copyright for, you know, any of the music that, that Nashville never had, never heard or had an opportunity to hear. So it's probably got a hundred songs in there. Wow. Well, but Rich mean... Mullen's early music is absolutely where yeah. I live it's it's amazing what you have done how you've been faithful to this mm. this mission that didn't necessarily see a lot of fruit from it for for many years and, and yeah. oftentimes that's where people you know that's where their faithfulness ends and and you just stayed the course and I'm I just want to applaud you and uh thank you for your your diligence to, um, to, to be a protector and to be somebody that, um, you know, not, you know, cares about that the family is honored, that, that Rich's music is honored, that, that the listener, you know, can be fully engaged as much as we can. And so, um, it's, it's been delightful to just see your work and your dedication kind of at least, at least, you know, and, as a first album you know come to full fruition and uh and hopefully more to come so thank you beth and uh really appreciate it's you spending the time honor. it's yeah. been an honor i'm grateful to be a part of the story that's so great it's always delightful to talk to you beth thanks for spending some time with us today absolutely love you so lovely to talk to Beth Snell Lutz, and as promised, now it's time to play a full track from the Deep Valley live concert album, and I'm going to play a song that uh, you would have never heard before if you didn't get Deep Valley. Um, it's a song that uh, Rich wrote with Justin Peters shortly after he moved to Nashville, one of his first co-writes in Nashville, and it was supposed to be recorded by a CCM artist that it just never got recorded. Um, they were writing it for somebody else. It never. So this release on Deep Valley is actually the first official release of this song, Where I Ought to Be. Here's Rich Mullins. You keep me going even though the world comes down Like a whip on my back, Lord 
And when I'm lost, you turn me around Set me on the right track and course To where I really ought to be And you point me towards eternity And you keep me pressing on Oh, Lord And when it seems that night will never end You give the promise of the dawn And when I'm running out of strength you give me hope to carry on to where I really ought to be. You point me towards eternity. You keep me pressing on. And I know this whole world will end, but my soul will rise again. Lord, you will lift it up. But till then, I need your love. I must keep it in my sight. Long as I You turn me around, set me on the right track and course to where I really ought to be. And you point me towards eternity, and you keep me pressing on. Oh Lord, to where I ought to be. From the newly released unearthed live concert album Deep Valley. That's the song Where I Ought to Be by Rich Mullins. Yes. Uh, we're so excited that we could just be a part of the team to help to bring that into the world. And it has been uh, made some waves. It's been very cool to see the interest and excitement about Rich's music. And in fact, it has, in some ways, awakened people to check out more of Rich's music, which is one of our hopes as well. Um, the, the, the album Deep Valley is available now on all streaming platforms if you want to check it out. Um, CDs and vinyls are available in the Bellsburg store, which is um, richmullins25.com slash store. Um, we'll link to that in the show notes in case you want to go check it out. Uh, the CDs ship now. Um, the vinyl is still in production. There's, you know, there's massive delays on pressing vinyl, but they should be in hand late quarter two of this year. So, but you can pre-order it now, and then we'll send you the digital download so that you have that in hand right away. You can check that out. All that's linked in the show notes today. And don't forget, we have a new big project we're working on for 2023, and we will tell you UTR's next big thing that's happening. Uh, that announcement's coming next week in late February. Um, so check out our uh, email list if you want to sign up and be a part of that. Make sure you don't miss the announcement or follow us on social media. Hey, if you enjoyed today's show, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this podcast page and post it to your Instagram or Insta story tag at UTR Media and help spread the word. Let folks know to find this because we largely rely on word of mouth support to uh, get this in front of more eyeballs and ears. So thank you so much. Of course, you can always rate and review the show and that's always helpful in uh, elevating it in the algorithm and all that. 
So um, thanks for playing your part in helping us get this free content in front of more people. Um, and we can't make it free without the help of our amazing support team. Thank you to all of our friends who are contributors and donors that put wind into our sales. Uh, and yes, if you uh, are putting the dots together, UTR Media, which releases this podcast and plus some other sister podcasts, playlists, videos, we do live retreats and events. Um, all of that is under a nonprofit umbrella. So we're a 501c3, and all donations to our work is uh, fully tax deductible and gets poured right into the work that we do. So um, if you want more info about joining that team, you can go to utrmedia.org. All songs used in today's episode are with permission or under fair use provisions. Besides Beth Lutz, thank you to Hannah Huben as well as being a guest on today's show. And make sure to check the link for um, her upcoming concert edition of All Direct Light in Nashville on April 4th. That's in the show notes as well. Um, we have another episode of Green Room Door coming up in just a couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking with amazing indie singer-songwriter Melanie Penn. Looking forward to that. You've been listening to Green Room Door. I'm Dave Trout, and this has been a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported nonprofit ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and online at utrmedia.org.